So good morning to you all, and grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning is the second Sunday of Advent, and we lit our second Advent candle this morning. It's the Bethlehem candle, or the candle of preparation. And we read this morning from Isaiah 40. If you were in the Bible study this morning, you studied Isaiah 40 as well. So we've been in Isaiah 40 for a long time this morning. And it talks about the one who would come to prepare the way for the Lord. This was fulfilled when John the Baptist came, preaching a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John had come to prepare the way for Jesus to come to earth the first time. As we remember and celebrate Jesus' first appearing, we are called now to be prepared for his second coming when he comes again in power to take his people home to be with him forever. Preparation. As we think about this season of Advent, what kinds of things do do we usually do to prepare for this season? Well, we decorate our homes, we decorate the church, we crawl up into the attic or go down into the crawl space and we dig out all those boxes and bins of all those Christmas decorations, We put up the tree, we hang the lights, we put on the ornaments, we put up wreaths and and poinsettias and garland and candles and all other kinds of decorations. And then my favorite part, we bake cookies and fudge and all that kind of stuff and eat all those things, right? We also begin to look at ads around Thanksgiving so we can buy gifts for our friends and families. Christmas is supposed to be a season of, uh, of peace and joy. But sometimes doing the Christmas shopping doesn't bring us very much peace and joy, does it? Especially when we get that Visa or MasterCard bill at the end of January and we try to figure out how long it's going to take to pay off all those things that we bought in December. There are a lot of things we do at Christmas time that can tend to take our minds off of what this season is truly about. Because it's about the birth of God's Son, Jesus come to our earth in a very special way so that he could one day take the sins of the whole world upon himself so that we could be forgiven and be made right with God once again. At Christmas, we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But there was another birth that took place shortly before Jesus was born that I feel is very significant as well and I feel should be remembered as part of the Christmas story. And it's the story of the birth of the one who was prophesied about in Isaiah 40 to come and prepare the way for the Lord to come. We read about his prophecy in our scripture reading earlier today. We read these words, A voice of one calling, In the desert prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together shall see it. Why? Because the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We read in Luke chapter 3 that this one who was to come before the Lord and prepare his way was none other than John the Baptist. In fact, Luke 3 even refers to Isaiah 40 to describe John's ministry as the one who was in the wilderness preaching that message of repentance so that people's hearts would be prepared when Jesus came. John's gospel tells us that John the Baptist, I'm sorry, what John the Baptist said 
when he saw Jesus coming, do you remember that? He was out in the wilderness, he was baptizing, and he saw Jesus approaching. And he said, look, or behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This was John's ministry, to prepare the way for Jesus, to point people to the one true Messiah. So this morning, I would like us to take a quick look at the story of John's birth and maybe look at both John's story and Jesus' story and see how the two of them mesh together uh, to give us the story of God's plan of redemption for mankind. I ask you to please take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, and we'll be in chapter 1, and I invite you to please stand with me as you're able for the reading from God's Word today. I'm just going to be reading from verse 57 down to verse 66. Reading in Jesus' name. (coughs) When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened, And his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. (coughs) Lord, as we look at this passage today, and as we just think about all that you planned and all that you prepared, for your son to come to this earth. We thank you that you sent someone ahead of him to help prepare the way. Lord, as we look at this story today, open it up to us. May your Holy Spirit apply it to our lives. And as always, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together would be pleasing and acceptable to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now, I didn't read the part of the story of how the birth of John had been told to his father, Zechariah, because it's a really, really long passage. But let me just quickly paraphrase it for you today. Zechariah was a priest from the line of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was a descendant of Aaron. They were both upright in the Lord and observed all of the Lord's commandments. They had lived good, long lives, but they had one regret— They had never been able to have children because, we're told, Elizabeth was barren. They had probably prayed to the Lord many, many times and had come to the conclusion by this late time in their lives that they just weren't meant to ever have any children. They would never have the blessing of being parents. Now, Zechariah was chosen at this time to be the priest who would go into the temple and burn the incense on the altar of the Lord. And this was a big privilege. Not every priest got to do this. So Zechariah went in and he made sure he was doing everything exactly as the Lord had commanded. And while he was in that temple 
an angel of the Lord appeared to him and told him that his prayer had been heard and that his wife Elizabeth would bear him a son and he was to give this child the name John. The angel told Zechariah that many people would rejoice at this birth, that he would be great in the sight of the Lord, and he would bring many of the Lord's people back to their God, that he would make the people ready for the Lord to come. But Zechariah didn't really believe what the angel told him. He asked him, he said, well, how can this be? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Well, the angel told him that he was Gabriel and that he stood in the presence of God and had been sent by God to give Zechariah this good news. But since Zechariah hadn't believed the angel's words, Gabriel told Zechariah that he wouldn't be able to speak until after the child was born. And that's exactly what happened. When Zechariah came out of the temple that day, after he had finished all of his service, all he could do was make signs to the people to try and tell them what had just happened. And when his time of service was over, he went home to be with his wife Elizabeth, and she became pregnant in her old age. And the two of them praised the Lord for what he had done. <coughs> we read earlier how the people thought the baby would be named after Zechariah. This was the custom of the day, and it was just expected that he would carry on the family name. But Elizabeth first told them that this baby was to be called John, and then Zechariah grabbed that writing pad and wrote down for all to see, his name is John. We've talked in the past about uh, that passage from Isaiah 9 that talks about those names that were given to Jesus, and we've seen in the past how names in the Bible seem to have meanings attached to them. I want you to listen to what these three names, Zechariah, Elizabeth, and John, mean. Zechariah means God remembers. Elizabeth means God's oath. And John means God is gracious. Put them together, and you have God has remembered his oath because of his grace to us. God has remembered his oath because of his grace to us. Doesn't that pretty well describe the message of Christmas? I want us to look at the stories of both John's birth and life and Jesus' birth and life this morning and see how they are very similar in many ways. You see, even though the angel visited John's father, Zechariah, before he visited Jesus' mother, Mary, and even though John was born before Jesus was born, the story of John's birth is still a vital story that's really seldom told at Christmas. And yet the story of John's birth isn't only a vital part of the story of Jesus' birth, but the story of John's ministry is also a vital part of Jesus' ministry. They weren't just related. Their births, their lives, even their deaths were woven together with this common thread in a beautiful tapestry that God wove together to tell the story of his love for mankind. This same angel Gabriel appeared to both Mary and Zechariah. Both of them were told of a future birth. Both of these births would be unusual, to say the least. Both of these sons would be fulfillment of God's prophecies. There are quite a few parallels between the story of John and the story of Jesus 
and they shouldn't be ignored. It all begins when Gabriel is telling Mary about the miracle that's going to happen in her life. When Gabriel tells Mary that she will be with child even though she's still a virgin, he then tells Mary what's happening in Elizabeth's life. Listen to these words from Luke chapter 1 earlier on. Mary asked the angel, How will this be since I'm still a virgin? The, the angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the, one, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then he said this, Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is already in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. So one of the things that we discover in the stories that are similar is that Mary and Elizabeth are related. The NIV says that Elizabeth is Mary's relative. Other translations use the word cousin. We don't know exactly what the relation was. Were they first cousins? second cousins, third cousins, twice removed, however that works. We're never told exactly what it is. We just know that they are related. And if we read further on in the story, we see some relationship between these two babies, even while they're still in the womb. When Mary went to visit Elizabeth at her home, we're told that as soon as Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, that that baby in her womb leaped, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she said that famous line of hers, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But it wasn't just the relationship of family that they had in common. They also shared a relationship with God. In both accounts, Luke makes sure that we understand that both Mary and Elizabeth were considered to be righteous and obedient to the will of God. When Luke was describing Zechariah and Elizabeth, he wrote that they were both upright in the Lord and the sight of God in observing all of the Lord's commands. And then the angel told Mary in Luke 1.28 that she was highly favored by God. And later on he told her to not be afraid because she had found favor with God. I find this interesting that Elizabeth and Mary are also the first two people in the New Testament that are described as being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The angel told Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit when she heard Mary's voice, and that baby, John, leaped in her womb. I find it really interesting that in this very patriarchal society, Two of the people chosen to begin this gospel story and to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God were women. I kind of like that. I really like that. Another thing that both Elizabeth and Mary had in common is they were both childless. These sons that were promised would be their firstborn child. Now, obviously, these two women were childless for different reasons. When Gabriel told Zechariah that Elizabeth would bear him a son... He only raised one objection, didn't he? How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Now I think that's a better translation than what we read in the King James Version. The King James says this, 
And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. Here's a little hint, men. When you're describing your wife or talking about her age, that phrase, well stricken in years, probably not a good one to use. So the reason that Zechariah and Elizabeth didn't have any children, it wasn't from lack of trying or lack of wanting to have children. It was because for whatever reason, the Lord had closed her womb and Elizabeth was barren and simply couldn't conceive. Now Mary's situation is a little different from Elizabeth's, isn't it? Mary didn't have any children because, well, she was very young and she was still a virgin. There's a big difference there, but also a similarity. Because for both of these women, God was going to intervene and do something that only he could do to accomplish his will. He was going to allow a woman well past childbearing years to conceive, and he was going to have a virgin be with child to fulfill the prophecy from Isaiah 7.14, which says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So we see that there are some similarities in the accounts of their births. There are also some similarities in the accounts of their deaths. Both of these mothers would eventually lose their sons earlier in life than what was the normal life expectancy for men of that day. Now we don't know how long Zechariah and Elizabeth lived. We have no idea if they lived to see the day that John actually went out into the wilderness and began preaching. We, we don't know. We're never told. <coughs> but we do know that Mary was right there at the cross watching as Jesus breathed his last and proclaimed, It is finished. And while both John and Jesus died at the hands of really very weak leaders, they died for very different reasons. John had been imprisoned and eventually died because he called out the sins of the people, especially the political leaders of his day. And those leaders didn't like that. I don't think they still like that today when people call them out. So John the Baptist died for exposing the sins of others. Jesus, on the other hand, died to pay for the sins of others. Both of them cruelly executed because they followed the will of God and fulfilled what was prophesied about them from long ago. So we've seen that there are some similarities in their birth stories and there are some similarities in their deaths. I also want us to see that it is in putting these two stories together that it makes the one story complete. Sometimes it's easy to look at the Christmas story and just see the story of Jesus. Right? That's what's depicted on the Christmas cards. That's what we sing about in our carols. And truly, the story of Jesus is the reason for the season. But I think there are some things we can learn from the story of John at Christmas time that are valuable lessons as well. One thing we can learn from John's story is that just because you've been praying for something for a very long time, and it seems like your prayer has been denied or just hasn't even been heard, that might not always be the case. Maybe the answer has just been delayed until God's timing is right. I wonder how many times through the years Zechariah and Elizabeth had prayed to God that they might have a child. 
only to feel that their prayers had gone unanswered. See, but their son wasn't to be born at just any time in their lives. He was to be born at just the right time, at God's time. Paul wrote in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. So if the birth of Jesus came about when the time had fully come, when God's timing was just right, then the birth of John the Baptist also came about when the time had fully come, because he was part of the story as well. Elizabeth's pregnancy would be an encouragement to Mary, just as John's ministry would be an encouragement to Jesus. The story of John preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins isn't just a story in and of itself. It was his preaching about repentance that opened people's hearts so that they were ready to hear what Jesus would have to say. John tilled and prepared the soil, and he planted seeds so that Jesus could come along then and reap the harvest of souls that had been turned back to God. The crowds that had gathered around John to hear him speak, those who had come out to be baptized by him, they were kind of, kind of primed like a pump for when the living waters of Jesus would then flow into their lives. Hundreds of people, maybe even thousands of people, had heard John speak, and they'd come to be baptized, and there was this, this air of expectancy. What, what's going to happen? Something's going on here. And then John, again, looked out at Jesus coming, and he said, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Can you imagine standing there being part of that crowd of people when John said that? seeing this guy approaching, wondering, who is this? Who is this? I wonder sometimes if Zechariah and Elizabeth ever wondered how, how the son that they had raised, hoping that he would serve as a priest in the temple, just like his father Zechariah, how he ended up wandering the wilderness as this itinerant preacher. But I also have to wonder how many people would have truly listened to John if he'd just been another priest serving at the temple and living in Jerusalem. God had his plan, and he had his hand on the lives of both John and Jesus, and he orchestrated this whole story of his redemption plan for the sins of the world. And John the Baptist played a part in that story, and it's a part that I believe we are called on to still play today. John had been questioned by the priests and Levites about who he was, and he freely told them, he said, I'm not the Christ. They asked him if he was Elijah, and he said, no, I'm not Elijah either. John simply told them, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. And he told them that there was one coming after him who was greater than he was, and of course he was referring to Jesus. Later on, John told his disciples that he was not the Christ and he pointed them to Jesus, Jesus, and he said, you need to follow him. He must become greater. I must become less. John's ministry, his entire ministry, was to prepare people to meet Jesus and to point the way to salvation. And I think that we, as the Church of Jesus Christ here in Billings, are called to that exact same ministry. We're not here to draw attention to ourselves, but we are here to point the way 
to Jesus. Our ministry is a little different in that John was preparing the people for Jesus' first coming, when he would come as the Lamb of God. We are called to prepare people for the second coming of Christ, when he will come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, when he will come to judge the earth. And there are many, many people in our lives, our neighborhoods, who are not prepared for that second coming of Christ. I think we as well are called to be that voice in the desert of our world, calling out, prepare the way for the Lord. Through the way we live our lives, through our words, through our actions, are we making straight in the wilderness a highway for our God? Are are the valleys of sin being raised up? Are the mountains of doubt being brought low? Are the rugged places of trouble and sorrow becoming smoothed out like a plain so that the glory of the Lord can be revealed in us and through us so that those around us can see it and turn from their sins and be prepared for when Jesus comes again? Are we called, like we read in Isaiah 40 this morning, are we called to be the ones who bring good tidings, who go up high on the mountain? who are not afraid to lift our voice and shout to our world, here is your God. Is this the ministry we're called to? I think it's a very worthy ministry for all of us to aspire to. So let us have that same spirit of John the Baptist and allow the Lord to use us to spread the word so that people's hearts are prepared for the true meaning of Christmas and for Jesus' second coming and so that they truly understand why he came to earth the first time. Is there a greater gift that you can share with someone who doesn't know the Lord this Christmas time than to be like John the Baptist and point them to Jesus? I truly believe, as Christians, it's what we've been called to do. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Christmas story and all the little details and everything that is entailed in it. Lord, the story of John the Baptist plays a big part. You sent him ahead of your son to prepare the people for the words your son would speak, for the miracles he would perform, for his atoning sacrifice on the cross that he would go through for us so that we could be forgiven, so they could be forgiven. Lord, help us to be like John and to point others to the true meaning of Christmas, which is your son come to earth to save us from our sins. Help them, Lord, to be ready for your second coming, because when you come again, there will be no more time. So, Lord, help us to point people to you this Christmas. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.